Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Don't be afraid to take risks because if you don't take the risk, you never have a chance to even make it. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Arthi Shah. Arthi is joining us from Chicago, Illinois. She works at Invest Beyond Multifamily, which invests in non-residential commercial real estate and growth markets. Arthi's portfolio consists of various properties in Illinois, New Jersey, and Georgia. And best ever listeners, fair disclosure, Arthi is a childhood family friend of mine. She is also a business partner of mine in Invest Beyond Multifamily. Arthi, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Ash, for having me. And thanks, Best Ever, for having me, too. Arthi, before we get started, can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yes. So I started my career in finance. I then went to University of Chicago for my MBA. And then I joined a family office. I've been with them for about eight years. I still help consult and variety of projects for them. And the family office actually made all of its wealth from commercial real estate and development. So when people think of family offices, they're very elusive. What is a family office? 
How did you get a job there? And why is there such an allure around them? So let me start with how I got a job there. I've known the owner of the family office since I was probably in my teens. My mother delivered his three kids. I kept in touch from high school through college, through a career in finance, through business school. And then I became a very valuable asset to him because I had an MBA degree from a top finance school. So he had recruited me to help structure, actually, his family office. And what is a family office, you may ask, right? Yes. Well, interestingly enough, a family office is an office that has X amount of millions of dollars. And they have to figure out, how do I allocate all my assets appropriately? There's tax strategies involved. There's trust strategy involved. There's also a number of deal flow opportunities that come through their desk every day. And where should they put money? How should they put it? What are the return targets that they should achieve? And it all really goes down to what is my generational wealth planning that will come and stay with my family going forward? Does the IRS have separate classifications for family offices or different tax benefits available to them versus just keeping your money in the traditional LLCs per property? So it's not specifically to family office per se. But there are tax strategies when you're doing trusts, and there's different generational trusts that you can do. There's different benefits that you can get by buying tax credits. So if you do some real estate development in, let's say, some undergrowth markets, the cities will incentivize you with tax credits. However, if you don't have the income portfolio to use those tax credits, you can sell them to someone who does have so much income that can use them. So what my employer would do is he would buy these tax credits because those developers never had an ability to use them. So there's different tax strategies that you can do when you do have as much wealth that family offices do have, such as moving to Florida from Illinois because the state tax is ridiculous. And this is where that financial education background (laughs) comes in handy. (laughs) All right. So you started working at this company, helped develop the family office. Were they already in commercial real estate before you got on board? 100%. So the owner of the family office immigrated here from India and went to a town that was very small, about 80 miles away from Chicago. And he ended up just buying a bunch of land there, making a bet on that city. Lo and behold, he developed his first strip center and then was able to bring national tenants into that and now pretty much has developed the whole east side of that town. So he had a lot of different commercial strips. He had sold a decent amount of land as well. But the key in his strategy was not only owning the land, learning the development process, but also owning the real estate going forward and never selling that real estate. Even today, do they still hold or do they divest anything? They're starting to divest, mostly because unfortunately, it's no longer a growth market. So At the peak of the market, there were enough divestitures. However, there's so many assets that are so in the money, per se, that why not just build continuing cash flow with that asset versus just sell it? And then how do you replace that cash flow going forward is the thought that really goes into family offices head. If you have an asset and I sell that asset, what will I get to replace that cash flow in my future earnings? So they don't like having idle cash. 
They do not like having idle cash. Everything has to start keep working. However, when we do asset allocation, we set amount that is idle just to because like everyone says, you have to keep your powder dry for the opportunity. So we always keep a set percentage of the net worth in cash to take advantage of the next opportunity. Arthi, what was your initial role at this family office? My initial role was to take a look at the current asset profile and then think about what would be growth opportunities for us going forward. And where my career started with them was they acquired a senior housing facility about a month after I joined, and I was part of the due diligence process. The interesting part about this is I knew nothing about senior housing. I came from a finance background. I had no knowledge about commercial real estate, had no knowledge about operating businesses. And I went through the due diligence. We acquired this asset that was bleeding cash. And when I talk about bleeding, I'm talking about 800,000 negative cash flow. Within a year, we were able to turn it around and have a million dollars of positive cash flow just because we identified all the mismanagement that was going on. So not only now do you have you acquired a piece of solid real estate and you have cash flow by the rent that comes from that, but also you have this operating asset that gives you another source of income. So that was one play. And then ever since we did that, that was my role. It just developed being like a turnaround CEO. Go buy a distressed asset, see if it has an operating concept to it. Now we have a physical tangible asset and then you have an intangible asset with the operating business. How often did you buy real estate with businesses versus just real estate? So in my career there, I focused just on real estate with operating businesses. So it started with senior housing, then it became self-storage, then it became a family entertainment park that we developed, which has miniature golf and go-karts. A ground-up development for a family entertainment park. Yep. Okay, we'll dive into that in a minute, but go ahead. And then we have multifamily as well that we then expanded into. So when I started there, we only had 40 units. Right now we have about 380 units. So that portfolio really grew. And then we had two restaurants that we acquired as well. So you're asset agnostic and very opportunistic. Best way to say it. Okay. Restaurants. Now, listen, I get senior housing. I get self-storage and I've got into the restaurant business. Why would anybody go to the restaurant business? What did you see that you could turn around? So it was a very great brand at that time when we got into it, but it didn't have good management so that we thought there was an upside with that. The other play here was we had a restaurant space that was sitting vacant, right? (laughs) It's one way to fill it. So one way to fill it is let's own the restaurant that could pay rent back to us. However, I will tell you, Ash, that out of all the businesses that I managed, I operated, I acquired, the restaurant business was the hardest. And for the dollar of money you get for the time you spent, it was a negative ROI in my respect. Until this day, eight years later, I'm trying to find someone to just buy it for them. Oh, wow. You're still in it. Yep. We're still in it. And it's not attractive. Yeah. You always hear it's one of the hardest businesses. People that are in the restaurant business will tell you never get into it. Neither you nor I listen to that. And uh, what what, what a lesson learned. Interesting. So senior housing, what did you do that attributed to most of the turnaround success? First thing was just focusing on the actual financial piece of paper that says, what is my expenses? What is my revenue? What's controllable? What's not uncontrollable, right? 
every asset has fixed cost and variable cost. I can't change the fixed cost. But what I can do is focus on my variable costs. So that deals with staffing, food costs, renegotiating my electricity rates, even the dumpster. It's everything to do from the nuts and the bolts. So you had someone that had a third-party manager, and then you put someone who actually has skin in the game to go in there. And you're going to find every dollar you can. So that really changed it. And did you guys self-manage or did you just bring in another operator? Nope. Personally, you're talking to the person that had that first year who was oh in, my God. who would go on every Tuesday and have dinner with the elderly just to get to know them. So they knew their new operator was invested in them. So the, I, MBA, the <laughs> MBA that you had got you a job as a senior housing <laughs> operator. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Great. So the great turnaround story. Do they sell or do they just keep the cash flowing asset? Kept it. It's still with them. Still a cash flowing asset. And then have you rinsed and repeat? Have you done more of that? No, I will tell you also with that business, this one that we owned was an independent living facility. There's independent, there's assisted living, there's memory care. We only owned independent living, which was honestly great. They live there. They're independent. They're not too sick that they need caregivers. They just really just live their life out there. And they pay a lot more than traditional rents. They do. They pay a lot more. Great business. It does until you hit economy swales like we are hitting now where people can't afford or don't have the pensions like they used to have, right? So our concept is they have to come in and pay a deposit. And the deposit is the two grand you'd pay for an apartment. It's a $20,000, $30,000 deposit, depending on which units you choose. And that's non-refundable. You pay it and you're committed to stay there. Forever. Forever. You can leave if you want, but you don't get that money back. Okay. So it's a sunk cost. And then they're paying about three to $4,000 a month. And all they get with that is the living space and the food. Everything else is on them. So senior housing was trending for a number of years. Is that industry just cooled off because of the headwinds in the economy? I think independent living has cooled off. I think assisted living, memory care, that's some of it that's still funded by the government. It's still doing okay, but the hiccup in those industries right now is finding the right amount of employees to fill the ratios you need to keep a sustainable operation. So you need X amount of caregivers to one occupant. So that's a headwind because you can't find labor anymore out there. Right. Got it. So Arthi, in terms of buying businesses, car washes and laundromats are trending. And I think partly due to YouTube videos. Some of the operators are making videos of them taking the quarters out and shaking them, jiggling them. And maybe because people are finding higher returns versus traditional real estate assets. What are your thoughts on that? People buying businesses, and maybe let's start with specifically car washes and laundromats. The best part about car washes and laundromats, they're number one, not labor intensive. You can actually own multiple car washes and laundromats with having just one manager. So I don't need 10 staff members on site at a laundromat. So my overhead costs are so minimal when it comes to those businesses. And there's a lot of opportunities in those businesses to have ancillary income. So now you go to a car wash, it's not just a car wash. There's like the vending machine where you can get the towel to wipe your car after. You can get a little car freshener. There's all these other opportunities that they say a little bit more soap, pay two more dollars. Same thing with laundromats. There's now fold and wash. 
There's I'll deliver it to your door. There's so many ways to scale that business, but still it's a truly fixed cost business. There's only so many variable costs that go into the both of those businesses. And there's not the headache, and I'm sorry for everyone in operating businesses, of the labor. Employees are tough. As much as they help you, there's also a new nuance to having that. Yeah. Are the question that a lot of our best ever listeners are going to want me to ask, especially the larger syndicators, is when they're raising capital, again, back to this elusive family office, how do they get the attention of a family office? How do they get your attention and say, hey, I want you to come take a look at my great deal? And once you look at it, what's the intensive process that you go through? Great question. So I had our committee that reviews investments. So when I started there, there was no true committee. We started, hey, I would have a deal. I would look at it. I would go straight to the CEO's office. I'm like, I think this is a good deal. Here's my underwriting model. Here's why I think it is. And he's like, okay, put 500,000. That was literally like, it was a sniff test. And this is eight years ago. Thinking about it today, we're sitting here and we have three people that after the analyst does its underwriting, they pass it to a senior analyst. Then it gets into my hands. Then me and the CEO of the company will review it together. And then we'll look at it. Have we invested in similar assets? How have they done? What is the return? Could we make a better return if we just put that money into something that we fully own? And I'll tell you, family offices get the cream of the crop deals. I must get about 40 deals a week that come through my desk. Is that because they know you could potentially fund the whole deal? That's because just knowing that if I fund one, there could be follow-on investments. I will never take a full bite at it. And I personally, what my CEO hates is so many layers of fees. So I get to demand those things being at the position I am. Hey, you're raising a hundred. I'll give you 500,000, but I'm not paying you a management fee. I'm not paying you this. I'm not going to do that, but I'll give you 50% of the deal. You don't have to go raise it, but I need better terms. And so we go through those negotiations because we have the leverage to do that. Funding is never an issue for us. And honestly, I'll tell you a unique situation that's just happened this week is we funded a deal. We put a couple million into it and it was supposed to sell last year. The market turned and now we got a capital call that was not expected. From a passive deal that you From invested. a passive deal. Ah. And now I have to put another couple hundred grand in it. So imagine if I wasn't at this family office and the family office didn't have enough cash on the side to try to call another couple hundred thousand just like that in one week. It's not like everyone has that just sitting there, but you will see a lot of that happening over the next six months because people didn't sell when they should have. They were getting a little bit greedy for the higher return. And now there's no market out there for acquisition. So now they have this asset, their interest rate locks are expiring. And we're at a position that you may get a capital call in the future that you weren't expecting in these deals. And are you increasing your capital reserves to take advantage of what's likely to come in the market? 100%. So I will tell you, we made a commitment just a few months ago. We're not even going to look at any syndication deals. We're just not. We're just stopping all process. It's, it's a time suck sometimes as well. And the quote from our CEO was, no one went bankrupt just holding on to cash. So I think that's a smart position for some people. And listen, I'm a deal junkie all day long. 
I will still look at every deal that comes in because there might be a diamond in the rough out there. We'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets. We'll be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. The consensus, especially amongst real estate people who got into this business within the last 10 years, is with inflation, having capital in the bank, you're actually losing a lot of money. What do you say to those people? We love leverage. Real estate people want to leverage everything. We want to deploy capital. And if we have money in the bank, it's losing value. Your thoughts on that? So I tend to agree with that sometimes. And I think if family office is a different scale, they still have money in the bank and they still can go do deals, right? I do think when you are at a downturn in the economy, you want to keep your powder dry. You want to go and say, is there an opportunity for me to even get into the market? This is a great opportunity for people that are scared to step into it, to think that they may get an asset for maybe 70 cents on the dollar because someone is defaulting. The bank has repossessed an asset. So if you're thinking right now, I've never done real estate, save some of your paycheck to just start building a fund because maybe six months from now, you'll have enough to maybe make your first dip into this market. You have the luxury of having seen a variety of real estate investments and businesses. What are you personally investing in? So I will tell you about a few years ago, I was a big venture capital junkie. You send me a startup, I will look at it and I'll be like, oh, this is great. I'm going to invest in this. And I was such a deal junkie when it came to venture, series A type of investments. And I will tell you, I'm sitting here three years later, not one return from any of them. I'm still paying the management fees without any distributions. So I've learned my lesson the hard way that though venture and private equity deals can be huge home runs you probably have to do about 10 to hit the one that's a home run, Yeah, right? And business school probably doesn't tell you that because you look at case studies of companies that have had wild success. Oh, you're 100% right. And it's so sexy, that word, oh, I'm doing venture capital. That's what all of us interviewed for. Hey, I'm going to go work for a venture capital firm, right? Yeah. The best part about being on the family office side is those venture capital funds are just trying to kiss your butt the whole time because they want your funding. Back to family offices for a second. They are fairly conservative, right? And they have a fear of losing capital or is that not the case? It's 100% the case. It's very calculated. And I'll tell you, you might wonder why do they think like that? Mainly because they also know how to make money. They also know how to make better returns. So every time we do a risk profile, it's like, well, I could get this return doing X, Or is it worth taking a little bit less return to have a passive investment and make Y? 
So do I have the resources to just bet on myself because I know we could do it in-house and make X return? Or should I passively invest this with this person and save my resources for bigger return projects? That's kind of the toggle that goes through our heads. And even though they have seemingly endless amounts of money, they despise losing any money, right? Oh, it's, it's a weird thing with family offices. Yeah, it is so hard to please them. If I'm telling you that there's a 12% return pref, that's a great deal. 12% pref in this market, I personally would do it. They're like, no, I could buy this business. And if I just need to hire two more people, I'll get 25% return. And so it's a mind game with yourself. It's, I have the money to keep on scaling my current operations. So should I take the bet on myself or should I go passive? And I will tell you the reason we did a lot of passive as a firm or why I did a lot of passive was at that time, A, we didn't have the resources to scale the family office operational side. But also it was such a quote unquote other sexy industry. I invested in Lime scooters and you see Lime and you're like, yep, I was a part of those angel investing for that. So it just like, it's that feel good touch in that over a cocktail kind of talk. Yeah. Right? Great experience. But back to your individual investments. So currently I have some medical offices in Jersey. I'm doing a co-working space in Georgia. In Illinois, we've worked on some self-storage as well. And that has been really interesting. And I personally invested, and this is, I'm helping someone with a self-storage deal in California. And that's truly just something that to help someone scale their experience. Let's dive into the co-working. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So it's a co-working space in Georgia. It's a really interesting business. And I'll tell you why. What my experience was with the family office was buying real estate, but then inside you have an operating business. That's exactly what this co-working space is. I'm buying a prime piece of real estate in a downtown district of Georgia. And inside of it, there's a very lucrative co-working operation setup that also has cash flow. So the way the family office I work for did it, and which is why I like the model of the co-working space, is you take that cash flow, you pay down your asset. And you pay it down a lot faster by using your own operating income to pay down the asset. Additionally, there's a rent you can pay internally. So similar to that restaurant model, why did we buy the restaurant? Oh, because we had a vacant space, <laughs> right? right? But it's just one paycheck going to the other paycheck. But the operating aspect of the business is just something that if you ever wanted to separate the two, you could honestly just go sell the operating business and probably you would own the real estate free and clear. And you could sell them both. Really exactly. cash out and profit. 100%. What are the returns on that whole entity? Because you own it all. The returns on the whole deal. Yes. If you don't even do any rent increases, you take it as is. It's about a 35% return across the board. Annual? Annual. How did you find that deal? So luckily in the spirit of partnership, I always say going alone, you can go fast, but going together, you can go far. And you know, our business partner, Rinku, had found that property initially. And then knowing my operating experience, we went down and tackled it together. And I think the best part about this is building a relationship with the seller. The seller did so much to get this property up and running that he actually didn't want to sell it when it came down to giving an offer. Even though he put it up for sale, I think his heart wasn't into selling it. 
Oh, you know? he was emotionally and attached. He was emotionally attached. And it was really just showing that he could trust us. We'll work together. We really respected all the work he did with this building. And I've just kept in touch with him and just even sending him a text saying like, hey, how's your weekend? Just to really build that relationship. So he felt very comfortable selling it to us. And to the point that since I'm based in Chicago, and this is in Georgia, he was willing to stay on for a few months at no expense and help transition this property very slowly. Yeah, that's incredible. And a lot of lessons to be learned there. When somebody's emotionally attached, whether it's real estate or a business, it's so important to take that into account. Find a way to ease ripping that Band-Aid off. If you can include them in the transition, if you can make them part of something, it's so important to do that. So good for you. So he had seller's remorse and really didn't want to sell. And by you working close with him, you're able to get the deal done. Yeah. And by keeping him close and truly respecting all the work he did. And it wasn't even just trying to kiss his butt or anything. It really respected. He turned a space around completely. But in doing that also, we found out he was on the board of conservation association, which provides grants if you want to do a side improvement or whatever. And he's able to now guide me into doing that for our properties. This relationship I think about is not just at closing, it's going to be over. I truly believe in investing in this because let's just say one day I do need him to step back in to just help and I could even pay him to do it. He built it from scratch. He was attached to it. He's going to treat it like his own even after he sells it. And I think that's really important. Again, it is really important because us real estate people, everything's transactional. And once the seller signs at the closing table, we're kind of done. So it's been trendy lately for real estate people to buy businesses because the returns aren't what they used to be. So thank you for sharing that. It's a great lesson to learn when you're buying a business. It's not transactional because you've got customers, you've got employees at stake, and it's very important to look at the human factor in that. So again, great story. What else are you buying or building in terms of real estate? And sorry, before you answer that. Co-working seems really lucrative. Would you do more of that? I would. And I'll tell you, there's pros and cons. Some people will say co-working, you have 14,000 square feet and you have 50 tenants. What a pain in the butt. And you can see that some people that not my cup of tea, but honestly, like, if you have your operational setup automated to the point that there's so much technology and you use it to your advantage, whether you have 50 tenants in a 14,000 or you have three, it can be just as seamless. And then you also have employees, right? There's got to be somebody at the front desk or filling up the amenities, the coffee, the water. Yeah, you have it. You can also have those employees help you in other places as well. So now you have an employee that's stationed at your co-working. But if I have other assets in the same area, they can also be my eyes and ears for those too. And so now I have invested in someone that has my back in not only this property, but other ones as well. They can grow with me. Oh, a pseudo property manager. Exactly. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Sorry. Back to the question that I cut myself off on. What other businesses or real estate are you buying or building? I'm really interested right now in the flex space model. I think that there's just going to be such a need for it. I've been in the self-storage industry for a while and those costs are skyrocketing. So I always think that if I can build you a 1500 square foot flex space and you're paying me. 1400 in rent, it's better than paying $300 for a 10 by 30. So why wouldn't you want something like that? So now you can store your stuff, but you can also operate a business out of there as well. 
So I've always been thinking, what is the disruptor for self-storage? I don't think it's going to be flex, but I think it's an in addition to self-storage. And there's a lot more growth opportunity there that hasn't been capped fully. Interesting. I know you threw some of the numbers out there and a lot of the best ever listeners probably did the napkin math. I didn't do it in my head. So you're telling me that your revenue per square foot is higher with flex versus self-storage. Yep. Okay, good. I would imagine that. Well, no, it's better for the user to do flex over self-storage. I see. So it's cheaper for me if I'm a landscaper or an electrician, Mm -hmm. it's cheaper for me to rent a flex space that I could store stuff and run a business out of versus storage. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Flex is very easy to lease out these days, right? Yeah. The user possibilities are endless in Flex. Such as? You can do landscaping. You could do a tinting shop. I've had people do bridal makeup in a Flex space, and they've just made it look outstanding inside. I've had a pseudo delivery service out of a Flex space. So there's uses are just so multiple. And the other thing about it, is it's easily convertible. So if a tenant leaves, I'm not ripping out a bunch of stuff. I can lease that within 30 days to someone else if I needed to. It's not a big turnover process. And Arthi, just so the best ever listeners know exactly what FlexSpace is, can you describe that? What is FlexSpace? So FlexSpace can be multiple things. So it can be roll-up steel door with an open concrete shell that has a bathroom, has maybe a little office space. Really, it's like a blank slate. Average is about 1,400 square feet, and there's multiple. So every flex space I've dealt with has maybe three or four in one center, if not six, and everything is partitioned by one demising wall. And you kind of have your own little unit that it's a blank slate that you can do what you need to do with it. And typically there's a bay door, garage Mm -hmm. door, some kind of drive-in type deal. Exactly. And the front of it could either be office, retail, all warehouse. We've seen churches in flex spaces. So yes, a very versatile asset, easy to lease out. Arthi, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Don't be afraid to take risks because if you don't take the risk, you never have a chance to even make it. Great advice. Arthi, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. All right, Arthi, what is the best ever book you recently read? Hard things about hard things. What was your big takeaway from that? That you really need to appreciate the people that have mentored you or helped you get there. One of the best quotes I think I got from that book was take care of people, products, and profits, but do it in that order. I like it. Arthi, what's the best ever way you like to give back? So one Sunday every month, we go to the food kitchen and my daughter comes with us and she's four years old and we just volunteer there. And I think for me, it's teaching those values from a young age and going forward. I had the luxury of doing a lot of volunteering in India when I was younger. I took about four months off of work and did it in India. So I want to teach those values to my kid. Also, I had a sister who had pediatric brain cancer. And so every year we send a ton of toys to St. Jude's and they're able to donate them to the kids. So we don't do it over Christmas because that's when they have a majority of toys coming. So we just do it off season and it's really great. And Arthi, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can do it at CRE Women Mastermind. So we are starting a women's mastermind. And you can find us on Instagram at C-R-E-W-O-M-E-N Mastermind. You can also 
learn more about our mastermind and everything about Invest Beyond Multifamily at www.investbeyondmultifamily.com. Or you can reach me by email. It's arti at investbeyondmultifamily.com. And what do they learn in the Women's Only Mastermind? So they will be learning everything about commercial real estate and how to navigate that world as a female. I will tell you, not only in the syndication, venture, private equity world and the real estate, commercial real estate world, I have not crossed paths with many women. And it's been a goal of mine to have the women rise up with us in this world because there's so much opportunity and it's just untapped. And I think multifamily has oversaturated the market and there are a lot of women in it, but I think all the women out there are missing out on the opportunities that are available in commercial real estate. Awesome. Arthi, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You've got an incredible varied background. Thank you for demystifying some of the allure around family offices. And we touched on a lot of different assets. Again, thank you for your time. Thank you, Ash. And thank you, Best Ever. Best Ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.